leadership over several decades around the gospel here in Singapore and around the world for this church and other churches in Singapore, which have so generously been a part of making this coming week possible. I believe that these leaders coming in from 33 nations and 120 cities this week represent one of the most important gatherings of faith leaders across the continent of Asia in the last 2,000 years. In the next few minutes, I will share a bit of why I think that is true as we reflect on the gospel and how it impacted cities around the world uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, Just a little bit about myself. My wife and I, Maria, have been married for 42 years. We have three adult children. Uh, Our children married Filipino, Brazilian, and Indian, uh, which means that we have no blue-eyed grandchildren. Um, So my wife was with our youngest granddaughter this week, Lily, uh, in Florida uh, for her third birthday. And she's there, and I'm here. But we're very excited about what is happening here in Singapore, what is happening in this church, and how God is stirring around the world. I'd like to pray for us, and then we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the words of Jesus in the book of Acts and his vision for cities. So as we pray, let me invite us to stand, and I'll lead us in prayer. Let's stand together. Jesus, as we gather this morning in this place, we thank you for the rich history of this church, for the rich history of of the leadership of this church. I think of Canon Wong and all that he has meant uh, to this church, to this city, and to the globe. And, and for, for successive generations, I thank you for Pastor John and for Tim and their mom and, and all the leaders in this great city that have meant so much to so many. And I ask that you would meet us in these few minutes and give us a fresh vision uh, of you, a fresh vision uh, of our own lives and how we invest ourselves meaningfully and strategically to impact the gospel in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to begin with a question that I would like you to be thinking about during these next few minutes, and and the question very simply is this. What is your vision of God, and what what is God's vision for your life? What is your vision for God, and what is God's vision for your life? I was challenged with that question in 1979 as a 21-year-old university student attending the Urbana Missions Conference. And on December 30th, 1979, Billy Graham challenged my wife and I, we were dating at the time, to be willing to go anywhere in the world that God would send us. We responded to that invitation, and looking back over the last 43 years, We have seen God's fingerprints on our life to bring us to this morning in Singapore at the beginning of what I believe will be one of the most significant weeks in the history of the church, not just in this city, but across all of Asia. This morning, as we think about Jesus' vision for cities, I want to talk about the importance of speeches. Jesus gave four speeches in the book of Acts located in very specific cities. And as I think about the last 200 years, I think about five speeches that changed the world. On December 14, 1965, your prime minister, Liu Kuan Yu, gave a speech to parliament, and in this speech, he had a vision for Singapore. He described Singapore as one of the most unique island nations in the history of the world. And he said part of the unique journey of Singapore is that it moved past 
the basis of colonialism without bloodshed and that God had a unique destiny for Singapore. And I believe the gathering of this week is one of the many reasons that God brought Singapore uniquely into place. In the year 2014, Forbes magazine described Singapore as, one of, as the fourth most influential city in the world, the most influential city in all of Asia. Singapore is a remarkable city. This is my 10th trip to Singapore in the last seven years. And I have seen some of the, the, the breadth and the beauty of this great city and its significance for Asia and the globe. On December 10th, 19. 79, Mother Teresa received a Nobel Prize for her work among the poor in Calcutta. And in her speech, when she was awarded the Nobel Prize, she said that in the final days of Jesus' life, he said that we will be judged by the way that we treated the poor and the outcast and the imprisoned and the broken. And she said in her speech, she said that Jesus became poor and broken and imprisoned. For our sake. And as we think about the nations of Asia gathering in Singapore this week, there are billions of people across Asia that fit the condition that Mother Teresa describes. Nelson Mandela, in his inaugural speech on May 10, 1994, after 27 years of imprisonment in Robben Island, he said, that the glory of God is in each one of us, and not just in each one of us, but everyone on the planet. He was calling forth the nature that God has put in each of us to make a transformative difference. And as I think about the significance of this week, we are calling forth in these 120 cities that will be here, the glory of God inside of each leader to be a transformational agent in the great cities of Asia. Abraham Lincoln, on February 27, 1860, he spoke in New York City at Cooper Union, and in that speech, he outlined his position against slavery. And it was in that speech that it catapulted him to the presidency of the United States. And in the next five years, Abraham Lincoln preserved the Union, and he freed four million slaves. If Abraham Lincoln had not made that speech in New York in February of 1860, the United States would probably not be a nation today. And Winston Churchill, on June 18, 1940, as the World War II was raging and, and the United Kingdom was the only standing country against Nazi Germany, he said that unless Hitler breaks this island, uh, he will not win the war. And if we win the war, we will preserve freedom, not just for the United Kingdom and Europe, but for the whole world. His leadership and courage turned the tide in what was the greatest conflict in human history. Why do I reference these great speeches? Because I believe that every life is a speech. Your life is a speech. My life is a speech. And we want to live our lives to give speeches that are consequential. In Acts chapter 1, we read the first speech of Jesus that he gave to the disciples in the opening chapter of Acts. And in these five verses, Jesus simply gives one command. The command, very simply, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, is to wait in Jerusalem. To wait in Jerusalem. And why is that significant? 
is significant because the disciples might have been inclined to begin preaching and, heal, and healing and getting out into the streets of Jerusalem. But Jesus understood that at that moment in church history, that group of followers were terribly divided. The disciples, the disciples had abandoned Jesus. They had abandoned the women. Peter had denied the Lord, and Thomas had doubted the Lord. Jesus knew that if they were going to be his representative to begin the mission of the church, they had to experience profound unity. He commanded them to wait in Jerusalem. And the reason that Jerusalem is so important is that Jerusalem has been the religious capital of the year, the religious, religious capital of the world for the last 3,000 years. Jesus chose to begin a movement in this incredibly strategic city. Just as Singapore is the host for these gatherings this week, Jesus knew that his movement needed to be birthed out of Jerusalem, out of a church that was deeply united around his purpose and his person. And Jesus had one conviction. His one conviction was that the unity of the church breathes the aroma of belief in a city and that division in the church breathes atheism in the world. Part of our gathering this week is to help foster a, a deepened unity across the churches of Singapore. This will be a remarkable gathering of leaders from very diverse churches in Singapore and across Asia. This is Jesus' first speech in the book of Acts because he knows that the unity of the church is the most strategic element of reaching all of Asia with the gospel. If you turn over to Acts chapter 9, you read Jesus' second speech. The story of Acts chapter 9 takes place as Saul is on the road to Damascus. Damascus is a really important city globally. It is, is considered to be about 5,000 years old, perhaps the oldest known city in civilization. And it is in this story that Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest followers of Jesus and to put them in prison and to put some to death. Saul was the most violent racist of the first century. And it is in this story that he is confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And as you read this story, beginning in verses 4 through 6, this is what Luke writes. But Saul, still preaching threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. In this story, in this story we really read about what I consider to be the three conversions of Saul. He is confronted by Jesus, and he asks Jesus what I consider to be the most interesting question of the New Testament. He says, who are you, Lord? 
And Jesus' answer was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus does not say, I am Jesus and you're persecuting the church. Jesus' relationship to the church was so intimate that to persecute Jesus, to persecute the church was to persecute Jesus. This relationship was so intimate that Jesus identified with the church so powerfully and so beautifully that when Saul was confronted, he had this, he had this explosion of truth in his mind and in his heart. And later in this story, in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 15, it says, And the Lord said to Ananias, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry the name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the first two conversions that Saul has is to the person of Christ, to the centrality of the church, and then in this interaction with Ananias, he realizes that he has a destiny, that he has a destiny to go to speak to the Gentiles and to their kings, and the king of the Gentiles was Caesar, and Caesar lived in Rome. From the beginning of his conversion, Saul knew he had a date with Rome. Jerusalem was the religious capital of the world, and Rome was the political capital of the world. We can only understand the New Testament through those two prisons, that Jesus went to die in the religious capital of the world, and Paul would eventually die in Rome as the political capital of the world. And in this story with Ananias, after he is told to go to Damascus and put his hands on the shoulder of Saul, he puts his hand on Saul and he says the two most tender words in the New Testament. He says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. This man who had been public enemy number one of the church was now a part of the family. And this week, as leaders come from across Asia into Singapore, the most powerful experience is realizing that whether we're from India or Iraq, whether we're from Japan or Indonesia, whether we are from Lebanon or Saudi Arabia, when we belong to Jesus, we belong to one another. That is the beauty and the gift of this week, celebrating our understanding of the church and all of its beauty and diversity. The third speech happens in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, Saul and Barnabas are together. Barnabas becomes the most influential leader of the New Testament. He has a vision for the life of Saul. He invests in him. He believes in him. He, he takes him out of the desert, and he brings him to Antioch. Antioch, Antioch was, was one of the great trading cities of Western Asia. And it is in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when the followers of Jesus are called Christian for the first time. The citizens of Antioch were European, they were Asian, they were Jewish, they were African. And the citizens of Antioch, in looking at the followers of Jesus, didn't know what to call them because they were so diverse. They called them Christians, followers of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 13, in these three verses, it reads, 
Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is perhaps the most important prayer meeting in the history of the church. The reason this is so significant is that at the time of this prayer meeting, the church was probably 99% Jewish, but the globe was ethnically 99% Gentile. And in this prayer meeting, Jesus speaks through the Holy Spirit, and he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the mission that I have for them. Their mission was to go to the Gentile world to plant the church in Western Asia and Southern Europe. This is so significant as we look at the great continent of Asia. Uh, For the last 40 days, uh, Tim Wong and his mom and a few of us have been praying over the the spiritual needs of Europe, the um, the spiritual needs of Asia. When When you look at India, there are three times more Hindus in India than there are Americans in America. Uh, we were circulating this, this, this diagram called the Circle of Influence. It's about a 2,000-mile 2000 2000 mile spread across the continent. And across the continent, uh, you have the majority of Muslims, you have almost all the Hindus, you have the majority of Buddhists, uh, you have the majority of Taoists. And as we gather this week, uh, we are going to gather to pray and ask the question, Uh, is God's vision for us to impact all of these diverse religious communities across the great cities of Asia. This prayer meeting is so important because it changed the trajectory of the gospel. You and I really are answers to the prayer of this this meeting in, in Acts chapter 13. In 2019, my wife and I had the chance to visit uh, a site outside of the city of Philippi from Acts chapter 16. And it was at that place in Philippi where the first church of Europe was birthed. We are the fruit, those of us who are of European ancestry and are part of the church, we are the fruit of that missionary journey to the first city in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. When Paul was in prison, one of his epistles was from, was to the church at Philippi. And in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, he says, I have not finished the, right, the race, but I strive to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. And the question that we must wrestle with, it's, it's, it's the other side of the coin of the vision question. For what purpose has Christ taken hold of you? What is the purpose behind your life that Christ has taken hold of you? A small part of that, I believe, is helping to host this tremendous gathering of leaders this week. Uh, We will be gathered uh, in this church Tuesday and Wednesday for a Movement Day Scholars program, and then Thursday and Friday at a sister church across the street, and then Friday night, a public service. I would invite you to come and join us Friday night if you're available. You'll get a, a snapshot of what God is doing across Asia as we gather to pray for all 50 nations across this great continent. In the final speech happens in Acts chapter 23, and it's actually just, it's just a verse. As you read the book of Acts, and you get to 
Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and while he's in Jerusalem, he's arrested. Uh, There are Jews in the city of Jerusalem that are trying to put Paul to death because they have accused him of stirring up cities all across Asia. So he's in prison, and I don't know about you, but if it were me and I was put in prison at this part of my life, I would probably think that it's over, that I will eventually uh, be executed. But in this speech in Acts chapter 21, verse 11, Jesus appears to Paul in prison, and he very simply says this. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for just as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The commission that Saul got in Acts chapter 9 was still was still underway. He was sent to Rome. And the fascinating part of the story through the rest of the book of Acts, in my opinion, is that Paul, even though he could have gotten out of prison as a Roman citizen, he chose to stay in Rome, he chose to stay in prison to get to Rome through the appellate process. He knew he had a date with Caesar, who was the greatest political leader in the world. And Paul chose to stay in prison to reach that assignment. So this was really what I call the great reminder. And each of us need reminding of how God has been at work in our lives. It was on that night, December 30th, 1979, when my wife Mari and I responded to the challenge of Billy Graham to go anywhere in the world that God would send us. It was in 1978 in this city when Canon Wong brought Billy Graham to Singapore, and Billy Graham prophesied that Singapore would become the Antioch of Asia. It is not accidental that that, that vision in 1978 intersected with our call in 1979, and here we are 43 years later. God, God is reminding us of his great purpose in using this great city and the churches of this great city to reach all of Asia. So the application of all of this, very simply, is this question. What is the speech of your life? We talked about five great speeches earlier. We've seen the speeches of Jesus, and while the speeches of these five great leaders changed world history, the speeches of Jesus changed eternity for multitudes. And we have the opportunity this week and beyond this week to impact hundreds of cities across this great continent. And my prayer for us is that we will hear God's voice and then we will respond to that voice with radical obedience, whatever that means, uh, at this juncture of our life and our leadership. Let me pray for us. Jesus, 